Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, my name's Richard Moss, and I make a podcast called The Life and Times of Video Games. It's a narrative and documentary-style show about games' history and how the medium has evolved over time. Each episode or bonus interview soundbite delves into some aspect of the ups and downs of the industry, or the design, development, and legacy of the best or most interesting games ever made. It's all carefully edited, complete with original music and sound design, and a mix of interviews and deep research. All set up to tell you a great story about the secret worlds behind or within video games. I hope you enjoy the show. This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. Hey, yeah, you. Did you know that Arcast is on Patreon? Go check out patreon.com slash Arcast for ways to help out the show and get some sweet perks in return. It could be something small, such as our $1 tier to show your support. Or join one of our higher tiers to get a shout-out, pick an episode topic, or even be a part of the show as a special guest. Even just sharing our show to your friends goes a long way. Once again, that's patreon.com slash artcast. Thanks for helping us, and keep it retro. What's up, Argonauts, and welcome to another Retro Gaming Podcast. This is episode 179 of the Rcast. I am your host, David Gilton, and with me is a man who grabs video games by the sticks, Robert Workman. Well, you know, when you, ta- you gotta take control, you gotta take control, and we don't have trackballs, so, you know, sticks. <laughs> yeah, not <laughs> yeah. anymore, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know the good old days, but what are you gonna do? But no, today is all about twin stick shooters, and no, we're not just gonna discuss Smash TV and Robotron, although those will come up. Uh, we are gonna discuss also modern games that take advantage of the format and just kind of our favorites in general what makes it work so well and uh we actually have a great expert on our show that knows all about twin stick shooters because he's uh, kind of working on his own isn't he yeah that's right so with us is will lewis of rose city games who's the developer of cat lady so how's it going there will hello uh going well um, so we figured that we would have you on to talk about twin stick shooters or like multi-directional shooters is also like another term for them, I suppose. Um, <laughs> since you are working on your own game, as Robert mentioned, Cat Lady. Um, so can you like mention like a little bit about like what Cat Lady is, uh, as well as the upcoming release for it on early access? So, uh, the short of it is that Cat Lady is a twin stick shooter where you throw cats at ghosts and uh, we're actually going to go into early access uh, as of this recording that's next week on thursday yeah now we actually got to play the game uh, a little while back here at pax west uh and i gotta tell you it was the cat's meow you know it, uh, yeah <laughs> it's too easy it's too easy yeah <laughs> bad bad kitty bad kitty but no i mean it's one of those games like you don't imagine using like cats as weapons in, in an enter the gungeon style environment and plus the art style you know the art styles it's not a typical art style there's like different shades to each level there's like one of them was like a, a light blue one of them was like a purple it's almost like black and white with this color hue mixed in and it's pretty sweet actually yeah we uh we really wanted to lean a lot into the cuteness and the art style uh, make characters that are very identifiable uh i don't remember if you had found the meow button 
when you were playing, but there's a new uh, album. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> now I need to play this. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not even a cat guy, you know. I'm, I'm not. So yeah, well, this um, game might inform you in that case. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, we'll get more into detail about that a little bit later on as we talk more about twin stick shooters and what Cat Lady will bring to the table. But right now, David, it seems like everything's coming up PlayStation these days, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So uh, there was the big announcement from Sony. Uh, that the PlayStation 5 is coming out on holiday 2020, which, you know, not to brag, but it was something that I did predict some time ago, if you, if you recall from our <laughs> previous discussions. <laughs> yeah, no, there are only a handful of features. They still didn't confirm backward compatibility yet, but they are talking about, like, different uh, things they're doing with the new controller with haptic feedback to replace the rumble technology and, mm-hmm. um, you know, a number of other different features, possible solid-state drive, make games run smoother than ever before. Um, and, you know, no games have been announced yet. We probably won't even see them until at least summer 2020, unless they do PlayStation Experience December, which is still up in the air. Um, but, you know, now they've got like a definitive timetable here. And now it looks like 2020, we're going to see both the Xbox Scarlet and the PlayStation 5 uh, mm-hmm. to go up against Nintendo Switch. And Nintendo Switch obviously has a huge lead and they don't need to worry about evolving just yet anyway. Now, um, regarding the controller, though, with the haptic feedback, is that like basically the same type of rumble feature, more or less, as the Switch? Um, in a way, I, I think Switch called it HD rumble. That's what mm-hmm. they called it. Something to like make it feel like you know it, it was a little bit. Uh, more closer to feedback. And I think that's what they're going for with haptics. You get like a broader range of feedback so that when you crash into a wall, it actually feels more like a, more than like a tackle on the football field, according to the, mm-hmm. the PlayStation blog thing. And it actually has its own adaptive rumble system. So it actually feels like, you know, you're hitting a wall and not, yeah. you know, like, like if you get hit on the right, you feel like the right side rumble. In that yeah, case, yeah. Something like that. So it's something yeah. adaptive. I mean, mm-hmm. to me, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm all for that if they can make it work the right way and not like, you know, super shake the controller to the point that it's going to feels like it's going to fall apart in my hands. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so, Will, I was kind of curious on what your thoughts are on the PlayStation 5 and I guess what you what you like hope to see from the console. Just I just want some more Dark Souls 2, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Dark, Soul, Dark Souls 4, Bloodborne 2 or whatever they're on. Uh, yeah, I guess Dark Souls 4 is not possible because uh, they're like, nah, it's gone. Oh, wow. Um, that, uh, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we got to get that uh, that Bloodborne 2. Um, mm-hmm. What's the Elden Ring? Is that uh, is that the new one? Yeah, with um, the guy who wrote Game of Thrones, I thought it was. Yeah. Jay, what's his name? Yeah. Or it could be like a Sekiro 2 as well. Like that, that could be like another franchise that they could go back to. So we'll die even more. Great. <laughs> yes, we'll die. We'll we'll die five times for the PlayStation yeah. Five. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, yeah. Five hundred. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, Robert, also, was kind of curious to yourself. I guess, like, with what you hope to see from PlayStation Five, or um, I guess what you also like predict to see from PlayStation Five. You know, I think Horizon Zero Dawn Two is a given. I think it'll be announced because Guerrilla Games has been working on it for the longest time. Because you mm-hmm. know, we've only had one expansion for the original game, so that means they have to be toiling away on the sequel. Um, we know Corey Barlog was talking about a God of War sequel. That probably won't make launch, but sometime after. Uh, we'll mm-hmm. see like an adapt, you know, like a, an enhanced version of Spider-Man because I saw like some early demo reel for it like a few months ago. Um, so, you know, we'll see like a mixture of stuff, you know, sequels and stuff like that. But I was also only being on the imagined side of things. I think like this is the platform where we need to bring back, you know, Jack and Daxter, Sly Cooper, 
Um, right. I threw MotorStorm out there, even though, you know, the team behind it's kind of gone now, sadly, after Onrush. And, uh, Both, like, Insomniac Games now back in, like, Sony's pocket. I mean, like, it seems likely that we'll see more of those franchises come back with the PlayStation 5. And so. that's kind of where I brought them up, too. Their next game would be a mystery. We could see Spider-Man 2. We could see another Ratchet & Clank. Or, fingers crossed, since they have the rights, Sunset Overdrive HD, or not HD, but Super Sunset Overdrive or something like that. and then maybe <laughs> Super a Sunset Overdrive. Yeah. It's possible. Sunset you know? Overdrive 64. Pe- yeah, people would <laughs> eat it up. If, if you made a 60 frames per second Sunset Overdrive with a bunch of extra hidden goodies and Super Skins. Hell, imagine if they put a Spider-Man skin or a Ratchet and Clank skin in there. People yeah, would buy that. it up. They'd snap it up <laughs> even though it was originally an Xbox exclusive. They would grab it for PlayStation yeah. 5. Just drawing it up. Like Tony Hawk all over again in that case. So, yeah. <laughs> sure, why not? Haptics. Haptics, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so we are excited for the PlayStation Five, and we'll see uh, see what happens there. But um, you know, you know, it's good to know at least like when it's coming out, and it certainly makes sense, certainly for like the holidays, and uh, certainly for like next year. So at least we know like how much longer that the PlayStation Four, I guess, like has life before Sony puts more of their eggs into the into the PS Five basket, if you will. So. Um, and to kind of keep with the uh, PlayStation love, along with some Nintendo, to, you know, to get thrown in there, uh, there's the Nintendo PlayStation prototype, uh, which is actually going up for sale. So, uh, for those of you who don't know, this is the um, uh, the like prototype console that Sony was making for Nintendo, which is meant to be uh, basically like a follow up to the Super Nintendo back in the day. Um, and then like Nintendo decided to pull the plug uh, over like basically proprietary rights, I believe, like with the uh, with like disc basically, because like Sony still had the rights for like the actual discs that were going to be used for the games for this console. Uh, so it never saw the light of day. Uh, but this prototype did uh, did like come out uh, from someone's basement basically. Uh, there is um, Terry Diebold basically is the owner of this console. And um, he was gracious enough, really, to go around to like several different conventions and like have the console be like you know be, be like shown basically, and I believe also playable yeah. um, at different conventions. I actually personally got to see it myself uh, during the Portland Retro Gaming Expo in 2017, I believe. Yeah. So I met up with Terry there, um, but now he's you know he, you know now he's willing to actually part ways with it. So um, Will, I'll have you start off the conversation here. How much do you think that this prototype is going to go for? <laughs> It's it's funny. I saw it at the Portland Retro Gaming Expo too, and uh, I remember they. Uh, I, th- I think they just every single item they were joking about it going up for auction next, and of course not. Uh, yeah, man, I have no idea. I, I can't. I can't guess too low without going over, kind of thing. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's like Price is Right rules. <laughs> it is technically yeah. one of a kind, so more than likely, right. we could see it fetch somewhere around fifty thousand. That's what I was thinking, too. Around there. Um, I remember seeing at the Tulsa Gaming Expo before I went to uh, Portland Retro Gaming Expo, and I spoke to Terry about the system and everything, and he was really excited to show it off and all that. But I guess, you know, like, he's gotten a lot of mileage out of the system, but he really wants it to go to a place where it'll be appreciated. I Mm -hmm. I think think he said he was open to offers, but he doesn't want to just have somebody, you know, who has it and takes advantage of it. You know, mm-hmm. he, he really wants to go to a good place and everything like that. You know, I made a suggestion to a buddy of mine who runs a museum. It'd be a perfect place to, like, you know, display it, let people play it. Because it is playable. I played Street Fighter 2 on it. It runs pretty well. It belongs and, in a museum. Uh, <laughs> it belongs in, so do you. Like, you, <laughs> you. You get my point. But I think it's it's going to get some good money up there. The question is, like, how is he going to sell? Is he going to take private offers? I mean, if you try to eBay it, that doesn't guarantee yeah, success. Yeah, I think he'll go to eBay personally. Yeah, I mean, like, I think he'll go to like either like a private, um, be like a private seller or like a private buyer, really. Uh, or it should go to like a museum. And I, like honestly, I think it should go to like a museum of some sort, like someone like who will be able to 
um, I don't know, take care of it or be able to like have it be still like displayed for the public to see in some fashion. Um, that's why it was like so good that he was able to like bring this prototype around to like the different conventions and have people check it out. Um, I think in the spirit of that, he should, you know, basically go to like a museum, you know, of some sort or whatever, uh, sell it to them or donate it or whatever he's going to do with it. Um, although he has every right to sell it really. Um, and, um, you know, and, and still have people be able to like enjoy it, I guess, for years to come. Yeah. I mean, whatever he gets out of it, I do wish him best of luck. eBay is definitely not the right option. I've learned that from the, um, yeah. <laughs> Sasechuan sauce that I had. A you know that ago. very well. Yes. Uh, it's not a good idea. <laughs> so yeah, definitely take the uh, private bidding route and, uh, you know, good luck, Terry and good luck, whoever gets their hands on this because it is a once in a lifetime collectible and not just something that will turn up in a pawn shop in five years, I hope. Yeah, and definitely let us know, like, as far as like, you know, how much you think this is going to go for. Because Robert, I think you're you hit the nail on the head as far as like fifty thousand. I was thinking in that five digit realm, um, certainly fifty thousand, and you know, probably up to like seventy five thousand, if I had to guess. So, and we're in that range pretty much. But, um, but you know, we'll 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 definitely wait and see. But uh, yeah, definitely let us know what you guys think. Um, and moving on from that, uh, Robert, this was a story that you brought to my attention in regards to the architect for the Atari VCS apparently calling it quits from the project. Yeah, what it is, they've been working on it, and they said they, they're just about finished with the hardware design. You know, they're still not working hardware, like, what, two years after they funded it on on, uh, on their uh, Indigo or Kickstarter or whatever it was. And what happened they finished was, the, the work on that, right? Yeah, I mean, they supposedly finished up on it and they were about to enter production, but um, one of the key architects, Robert Wyatt, uh, who works with the company Tim Giant, uh, he quit um, mainly because they're over they're owed over six months worth of invoices uh they have not been paid by atari and he says as a small company we've been lucky to survive this long so it sounds like atari does not know how to manage you know the the crowdfunding dollars that they made from this you know they're still scrambling to find working hardware and they can't even pay the guys who are working on the hardware i mean uh, there's all sorts of questions about this already between i think we discussed this previously the price being around 250 bucks, you know, right. having, having you rely on a streaming service to get most of its games without really announcing any of its own, you know, it, it's just, this is just another log on the shit fire. To yeah. be honest, it's just, you know, it's almost about a raging inferno out of their control. And at this rate, we don't even know if the Atari VCS has a release date. I mean, they say it's finished, but without an architect on the job to really finalize everything, who knows if this is going to be a setback? Yeah, I mean, I feel like this can only be a setback, really, in a lot of ways, even if it's not like a setback on when they plan to release the console, but certainly with other aspects of it. Um, You know, and if, like, the job is largely done, I mean, then that's, like, up to Atari, really, to, like, pay its employees in that case, or, like, you you know, to pay the people who actually, like, help make the product to begin with. So... Um, it's, it's just really, really, um, I don't know, just like disappointing and also, uh, familiar really for both of us, <laughs> you know, considering like with what happened with like, you know, with like retro magazine and with, uh, uh with like Coleco chameleon and all that stuff. Um, so it, it's, it's just, you know, it's a little ominous, honestly, uh, for me to see this. Um, and I just really hope that this gets, um, that this gets resolved in some way, honestly, because it, it is, you know, it is, it is very disappointing, like, whenever you have, like, a major company. And I, I, I guess, like, with, like, Atari, they're not, like, considered a, like, a major, major company anymore, at least at least not by, like, uh, by, like, the people, like, who are involved with it anyway, um, you know, even, even though they're trying to, you know, fix that with the, with the VCS. But 
um, you know, it, it's, it's just kind of disappointing like to see regardless. So, uh, Will, I'm, I'm just kind of curious on your thoughts with the Atari VCS and like, you know, if, if you have any thoughts also like in, in regards to this, uh, to this breaking news. I think it's really interesting how just how Kickstarter funds, uh, you know, how up and down people play that, especially with how transparent people are in the middle of their process. I think that's totally, totally uh, hard, but necessary to do is stay, uh, you know, on top of the process of sharing where you're on their project and making sure you're actually showing work along the along the way and everything like that. Because typically, it, you know, with with how people are sharing projects in progress right now, it almost feels like something might be wrong if no one's sharing anything. And I think, uh, I don't know, a, a company like Atari might not uh, be on the bandwagon for jumping on a lot of these new processes, but, uh, you know, maybe it's finished and they just haven't jumped on the bandwagon of sharing things uh, and being a little bit more transparent. But uh, at the same time, there's a huge trend of uh, Kickstarter and uh, similar crowdfunding models not working well because of uh, that not being managed appropriately. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, 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 we'll see what happens. I, mean, I think the big thing here is that like the route they took, like asking for all this money and then not really providing anything for it and not providing anything for the people that are actually working on the hardware. That's, that's a killer point. I think that's kind of why I admire what Tommy Tallarico is doing. He's doing things his way with private funding and pacing everything out. Well, he's had like words in regards to the Atari VCS and how Atari has been handling this really because like this console still has so many question marks around it. And uh, it is supposed to be coming out like pretty soon. Um, like I think as early as this fall or maybe even like early 2020. And that would probably be like my guess personally as far as like when this thing is going to actually see like the light of day. It's just that there are like so many question marks as far as like what you know what this console is going to provide, uh, who this console is really even for to begin with, like as far as like its audience. Um, yeah, I don't know, and like this just kind of seems like it's a it's a it's, it's a bit of an ominous sign again. And I you know I will bring up like the fact that we've been like so close, like with like Retro Magazine and with like the Coleco Chameleon Robert that. You know, there's just a lot of things I'm seeing similarities to, I guess. Oh, so yeah, for sure. we'll kind of wait and see on that. But yeah, so like the next story that we have here, though, is in regards to Bully 2, which was apparently going to come out, uh, but got canceled apparently here. So uh, from like the ScreenRant.com article here, uh, it says here, a script for Bully 2 was written by Dan Hauser, I was part of Rockstar, uh, and a small team of developers in 2008, two years after the game's initial release. After development of the first Red Dead Redemption game was completed, a group of Rockstar New England employees reportedly spent somewhere between a year and 18 months working on Bully's sequel, going as far as to create a small but working build of the title. So Bully uh, is like one of those like Rockstar games that uh, certainly has like its niche audience. It, it you know, grew like a cult following after the like initial game. Uh, it's essentially like a smaller Grand Theft Auto and like a school campus more or less. Uh, and it was pretty great, honestly. Like I, I personally lo- love the title myself. Um, but it did seem more and more unlikely that we would ever see like a sequel to this, especially with how much of a runaway success that the Grand Theft Auto franchise is and Red Dead Redemption, uh, especially with GTA Online and now Red Dead Online. Um, it's just like all those things now. I mean, th- these are the things that are profitable for Rockstar. So it-, it makes sense that we won't see a Bully 2, but I- I'm just really curious now as far as like what the sequel was actually going to be all about. Yeah, I mean, maybe going to a different school, maybe being older and going to college, you know, because that could easily be like 
one hell of a setting for bully too. be like mm. oh well, should i go to this drunk party i don't know yeah <laughs> could be like kind of like a like a porkies or like animal house kind of thing yeah I, I can't see it work i mean it won't take the red dead it wouldn't take the red dead 2 out and be a prequel because what is he going to get in trouble in grade school uh, i mean that I could be an idea be. i don't know but you might get in trouble with some people though <laughs> I, I think college would work better i, I think college if anything, better, put him yeah. in a college setting and you know because make him older and not necessarily wiser probably even dumber who knows yeah but, <laughs> somehow I he mean, got dumber yeah <laughs> it is sad that it's not going to see the light of day um at least not yet you never know in the future maybe yeah. they'll get around to it but right now they're focusing on red dead 2 for pc which they did announce for november 5th mm-hmm. um so Obviously, they have their hands full with stuff that's more successful, but I mean, eventually they could always come around to it. Because, like, for the longest time, we thought Max Payne 3 wasn't going to come out. Then Dan Hauser announced it. Then it came out for Xbox 360, PlayStation mm-hmm. 3, PC, and it did really well. I mean, it did really well for the audience. It did really well in general, but not really well in, in like, Rockstar's eyes, I guess. Because um, right. I think it sold, like, 4 million units, which would be great for, like, any game, pretty much. But since this is Rockstar and they sell like, well, like 100 million plus copies, basically, of Grand Theft Auto 4 or whatever. um, I mean, those numbers just aren't worth it for them, honestly. And like, that's why you're likely not going to see like a like a Max Payne 4 like in the near future either. Yeah. Oh, and I think that's another reason why they probably canceled Bully 2 is like, you know, it was great as a niche title and sold millions of copies, but it didn't break the bank like grand theft auto 5 like red dead redemption 2 you know they're, and you they're can't expect it to play. either though you can't yeah. expect it to either you know? not every game is going to sell gangbusters but they want to find stuff that's guaranteed to be major hit i mean like red dead redemption 2 in its first week it outsold red dead redemption 1 in its entirety that's right. the kind of grand slam they want to go for you know grand theft auto 5 sold 100 million copies there's no way in hell bully 2 couldn't even do a tenth of that well, it's the same reason why you have like Valve like not making Half Life Three, for example, because yeah. they just make bank with Steam, you know. Totally. So I mean, it's just not worth it for them to do it, you know. Despite the fact that it is highly requested, obviously for many many years, you know. Obviously, Bully is no Half Life, but um, it's kind of like a similar situation where like you do have like this like core audience who like really really want to see a sequel, but you know, it's just not worth it to the studio at this time. So like, unless they're able to like maybe like hire out like another studio, like another team or something like that to work on it. Uh, but otherwise, for like the core Rockstar team, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's just not worth it to them. Um, Will, I was kind of curious on your history with like Bully and all that. I don't have much of a history with Bully, but one of the things I'm super interested in is, uh, you know, I think it would make a lot of sense for them to sublicense the IP out um, or uh, any tech. Like the thing that I think is kind of funny is that, of course, it's very reasonable that they might have not uh, pursued it for business reasons, but. If they didn't, then where where did the time go that went into developing and or writing what they did have? Because just trying, I'm, the thought running through my mind right now is what kind of uh, tech would they have developed for Bully that they uh, could have co-opted or cannibalized into Red Dead Redemption 2? Mm. Um I don't know if there would be any based on what the setting is and everything like that. Probably not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it's kind of funny to consider uh, what a what a Bully 2 and Red Dead Redemption 2 crossover um, would look like if you think about what, what tech they used in both of those games uh, or if any of it was similar or if they just threw everything from uh, or, you know, archived absolutely everything from what they were doing with Bully 2. So what you're proposing is like teenagers in like the old west, basically, is like shenanigans that they get up to, <laughs> like in the old west. Yeah, you got a you got a little uh, uh, you know, 
slingshot action, but uh, they can't use that in in Red Dead Redemption Two. You know, any of those kinds of things. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely kind of curious, like as far as like you know, in like a post Red Dead Two world now. Um, you know, as far as like what like a bully two could possibly look like in that case, like where you have like this like sure. open world where anything goes, like anything can happen pretty much. Like you know, like a lot of things are procedural as far as like how everything works in the back end. Um, but within like a smaller setting, more constrained setting, um, especially like in a school and everything, I think that could be very interesting. But um, right, yeah, and I wonder if even before Red Dead Redemption two, they were working on something like that for Bully two, and decided business wise this isn't going to sell, but like let's use this huge uh you know expansive uh landscape uh, system that we developed for bully 2 and use it in dead redemption 2 like who knows how that all worked out maybe maybe yeah i mean like um yeah i guess like this this was back in 2008 so i imagine like there was like some things that they were testing out when making bully 2 and they just kind of transitioned like some of that stuff to to like their other projects yeah. so like it makes sense yeah absolutely um, and so, like the last story that we want to hit on here too is uh, Doom being played on the unlikeliest platform, a McDonald's cash register. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this was actually done by a 19-year-old uh, named Ryan Edgar, uh, who posted this on Twitter. Uh, basically, he he basically got a um, a McDonald's cash register from the local McDonald's that he's that he's near, basically, uh, since they were g- giving them out. I guess like they were upgrading their their like systems or something. Um, so he was he was able to get one and basically like you know circumvent like a way to make the original Doom uh, work on it. So um, it seemed like pretty simple actually because like uh, like it sounded like he got like a USB drive uh, basically that had um, Z Doom like if you know like the Z Doom file basically and um, put it on that since like the monitor itself has like a USB port and uh, just like kind of circumvent it to like work that way basically. So it seemed to like work pretty well. Um, so you can imagine if you like, you know, go through like the drive-thru and you're like asking for, for like fries and all of a sudden you just see like, this guy going you're going to wait till I get through this level, sir. Now, please park right. the car in slot one. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so Will, I have to ask you, uh, you know, is this the strangest way to play Doom that you've seen yet? <laughs> um, I don't know. What was the other console that somebody really recently did one in? Um, it was something similar to like a a like drink dispenser at a at a uh, fast food place or something like that or like a five guys or something like that or <laughs> yeah if you look at that thread and you scroll through there are a couple of things where where people are like oh well what about you know this yeah. automatic dog feeder or just like you know <laughs> just anything yeah um, yeah the the funny one would be if they did uh, a really gross piece of uh, of medical equipment um, then you would actually feel like you were there maybe a little bit yeah i mean that's always like how like the like test i feel like for like these like um these like people who like want to try like to i guess like make games work on like the unlikeliest platforms and like it's usually doom that's being used since you know it's like widely used it's widely copied it's you know it's a very popular game obviously so it's it's kind of become like almost like a meme in this case like well can it run doom you know (laughs) right i think that was one of the first comments on uh, the when the play date was announced uh that that small kind of like yellow game boy looking uh right uh, handheld with the crank on it's just like Mm -hmm. well can I run Doom? Who knows? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> some, some, some lunatic is going to get like Doom running on a speaking spell at one point. I'm down with that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Welcome. And that's going to lead us now to the part of the show called What Are You Playing? We'll get some games you've all been playing or have recently beat. So, Will, with you being our special guest, why don't you tell us what you've been playing? Uh, I just finished Dragon Quest Builders 2. 
Uh, I started the Dragon Quest XI demo on Switch, and then uh, I've been, uh, you know, my uh, more round-based games have been Smash Brothers and Dicey Dungeons lately. Hmm. Okay. So you're a big Dragon Quest fan then, yeah? Yeah, for sure. Um, I re- when when I was younger, I saw Dragon Warrior Monsters at Fred Meyer and uh, thought like, oh, yeah, it looks like Pokemon. I'll try it. And just <laughs> like, I love it. So uh, since then, uh, Dragon Quest 3 is one of, my, one of my favorite RPGs and all that kind of thing. So I'm really excited to see what Eleven does because uh, most people who are huge, huge fans of Dragon Quest and lots of people who say, okay, I'll give this one a try, uh, agree that it's great. So uh, excited to keep going with it. Have you seen that the first three Dragon Quest games are on Switch right now? Yeah, I was excited when I first heard that, but uh, Squeenix has yet again uh, done a lot of weird things with the art uh, before putting yeah. the classics back onto onto console or Android or anything like that. I think they're like the mobile ports, right? That they brought. Yeah, over? those those mobile ports of uh, Chrono Trigger were yeah. al- like it almost looked like it was in hexels just because of the way it was rendered. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, I saw that like on Twitter. Like there was like a hardcore fan, I think, who like basically showed like the pixel count, basically, and like how like it was like degraded. Yeah, and like they just choose weird fonts, so it just every every screenshot looks ugly. And yeah. uh, this time uh, they did a new kind of combination, which we haven't seen yet. <laughs> uh, and the uh, the Dragon Quest one through three releases for Switch uh, use most of the original backgrounds, which is like finally, but they redrew all of the character sprites so that the uh, resolution is higher, but they don't at all look better. Um, it's just like every, all the lines are really skinny and the facial features are really, uh, they just have really fat faces and everything. It's, yeah. It just looks odd. And then the uh, monster sprites are all vector. Uh, so yeah, doesn't really make a lot of sense. <laughs> I, love, I love looking at that game and I love Akira Toriyama and everything like that. So, uh, so it's kind of heartbreaking, but uh game boy color version of uh drink quest 3 is the best one anyway so yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean it's kind of like the um ds version of chrono trigger also like it's just kind of confusing as to why they wouldn't use that version to bring over exactly. to the switch you know i mean I don't yeah know, who knows really if it's good. a rights thing or yeah i i do Maybe. not know yeah not sure uh robert what have you been playing oh what haven't i been playing uh just been so busy this week uh started off my week with ghostbusters the video game remastered which came out last week, uh, very nicely done. Does not have multiplayer. Uh, they're supposedly going to patch it in later, but looks really good for single player, and it is fun to play the game. Now, so, did the original game have multiplayer? Like, I don't remember yeah. having that. Really? It was co-op. It was, oh, it wow. was co-op. Okay. Um, and unfortunately, they did not incorporate it in this new version, but they said they might patch it in later. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing's official yet, but they are working on it because I know a few fans were asking about that. Okay. And then after that, I finished up my review of Fight and Rage, uh, which originally made its debut on Steam. Now it's available on consoles. Really great beat-em-up. Very stylish in a 16-bit style. Uh, great music. It was actually the work of one man, uh, Sebastian Deva, I think it is. And he did an amazing job with the game. I mean, it does get tough at times, but good brawlers usually do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got the review up over on adventuresandportaste.com. Uh, and then there's Ukulele and the Impossible Lair. This is the sequel to the original Ukulele. It is a 2.5D side-scrolling adventure mixed in with a little top-down exploration, kind of like Link's Awakening. Uh, what you do is you go through the top-down world to find bees, uh, which have been taken by the evil capital B. 
Um, and you basically have to go through these side-scrolling levels, similar like, in nature to Donkey Kong Country. I really, really, really enjoyed this game. Mm. I thought it was very well done, beautifully designed. Gameplay is excellent. I actually like it more than the original ukulele. I've yeah, been hearing that from a lot of people, actually, yeah. Yeah, it just feels so much better. Uh, and then I've also been working on Trine 4, The Nightmare Prince. This is actually a return to form for the Trine series. Trine, Trine, I call it Trine. And uh, it's an excellent game. Absolutely terrific. Uh, great use of characters and all that stuff. And it's just so much fun. I'm really enjoying it. And the last but not least, I've been working on Grid. Uh, this is the reboot to the Codemasters Racing series. And they did a really good job kind of like bringing it back to form. It's been a lot of fun uh, in terms of its racing excitement and everything. So definitely recommend that as well. So yeah, busy week for me. And uh, it's not going to slow down anytime soon because Witcher 3 is coming out on Tuesday for Nintendo oh, Switch. Oh yeah, the Switcher. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, right. I got con- and I got Concrete Genie-, Genie sitting here for PlayStation 4 as well. So oh, yeah. busy, busy. Now, uh, David, before we get to what you are playing, let's talk about what you're not playing because usually, <laughs> you know, you talk about Overwatch. You talk about all this time that you're playing Overwatch and everything like that. But Blizzard's kind of been a-hole-ish lately with this yeah, whole thing with the yeah. uh, Hong Kong player and uh, Blitz Chung, I believe his name was. Blitz Chung, so you yeah. actually deleted it yeah. after all these weeks of playing. Tell, tell us about that. Uh, Sure, yeah. Um, So I, I do sometimes delete Overwatch just because, like, I need to, like, kind of, like, take a break from it and, like, you know, it kind of suck up a lot of my time. So, so you know, I just kind of just to... Um, so I just like delete it sometimes to uh, to do that for myself. But this time I'm deleting it uh, more like with the protests. Like a lot of people are kind of protesting against Blizzard uh, in regards to their decision uh, with um, uh, with the Hearthstone player, basically. Um, you know, as far as like uh, banning him for a year uh, and also taking him out of the grand finals and like taking you know, like all of his um, you know, all of his winnings and all that stuff uh, because he decided to use the platform that he was on in order to show support for the Hong Kong protesters. Uh, so, you know, in like a lot of ways, this guy is a patriot really. And like, he, you know, he, he's doing like what he believes in, uh, despite, um, the harsh punishment from Blizzard in regards to this, uh, he is still standing by his conviction, you know, his convictions, his words. And, um, you know, Blizzard right now is like suffering like from a real blowback from fans. Uh, A lot of people are saying that they're also deleting like, you know, games from Blizzard, um, you know, also deleting like the, uh, was it the, um, uh, the PC like storefront and all that stuff that they have, like everything by, by the company basically. And um, yeah, it, it's just, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's a big shitstorm really in a lot of ways. And like, so, you know, I, I couldn't like you know, with, with all the news that's kind of coming up from it and like me, like educating myself on like, on like the story, I couldn't bring myself to play Overwatch, despite the fact that I am like, you know, I, I've been excited really for like the new, like, you know, with like the Halloween skins and like, you know, stuff that's going on with the holidays with it basically. Um, cause like the holidays are usually like, the best time for like Overwatch with, you know, with like the events that they have, but uh, yeah, I, I just can't bring myself to support Blizzard at this time with what they're doing. And I do hope that they end up reversing their decision in some way, because otherwise it's pretty damn obvious that they are just bending to the will of the Chinese government. I just can't, I just can't stand by that. So. Yeah, I mean, it, it just really is kind of awful. They turn the back in their community, and they even have like a mantra that says like every voice matters. Yeah, the statue and... that's outside of their building, yeah. I know, and somebody actually covered it up. Somebody who worked at Blizzard covered that up with paper because obviously they weren't happy with the decision either. Right, right. But uh, I just wanted to bring that up real quick because it's kind of interesting because you've been playing for the longest time, and now what are you playing instead? Uh, so Judgment, actually. So I've been playing a lot more Judgment. Ah, yes. Um, which is the game that's made, that's, that's made by the same studio that made the Yakuza series. Uh, been absolutely loving it. So, um, you know, so, so, you know, so, so I've been chipping away at that. 
Um, it basically goes into like you know detective uh, detective gameplay, solving a like murder, basically into now more like political intrigue and political conspiracies and all this stuff. Um, it's pretty cool. Like I'm definitely liking it a lot, and uh, definitely liking playing as uh, Yagami a lot there too. Is like the character you play as, and um, yeah, you know it's a lot of fun. It's really cool. Um, I, I did go through like the part recently where uh, you play as. Um, I think her name is Sayori. She's basically like the lawyer uh, who works at the uh, the law firm where your character used to work at, um, where she basically goes to like a makeover in order to work undercover at a hostess club, <laughs> more or less, um, which is kind of like a little disappointing for me because like I love that character, but I feel like that they could have done like a lot more with her than just have her you know, like the fact that she's a woman. So now we have to have her do like the one thing that she can do because she's a woman, whatever, even though she is clearly capable of other things, because you know, a bit of her background, you know, she's a lawyer. Why not have her use some of those skills instead? So I, I don't know, it's it just kind of odd. And there's, there's a way for them to, I guess, to kind of like throw in the, uh, some of the hostess club mechanics, I guess, that they had in the Yakuza series into this game, but in a very small way. And I don't know, in a very, I guess, kind of wasteful way in, in, in a sense. So I don't know. I mean, I just want to see more Justice Force Say- Sayori, I guess, in this game. So, um, but otherwise, it, you know, it is a lot, it is a lot, you know a lot of fun. It's, it's a really cool game, and uh, yeah, I'm definitely enjoying it a lot. So, still chipping away. Um, and one game that you could definitely chip away on here is Big Drunk Satanic Massacre, or BDSM for short. Uh, this is a Steam code for it. Uh, it's time for Take No Prisoners All Out Mayhem featuring Lou, Satan's beloved son, as he blasts through waves of vile traitors to prevent hell from being overwhelmed by pathetic humans. Rip through the human onslaught with a variety of soul-shredding weapons. So if that sounds like a jam, definitely jump on this. Again, this is a Steam code. The code is N. 4LBCWXZG8 F3043. Again, that's Big Drunk Satanic Massacre on Steam. Enjoy. And if you do redeem that, definitely let us know at Arg Podcast on Twitter. Hello and welcome, everyone. My name is Vaughn Hyde. I'm the host of IndiePod, an indie games podcast. With the help of my illustrious co-host, the biggest of average Josh Boys, we bring you all the indie games news you need to know, as well as shouting out some amazing indie games over on crowdfunding sites and occasionally derailing to a conversation about big anime chesticles. We are so happy to be part of the HP Video Game Podcast Network alongside so many other awesome gaming podcasts. So if you love indie games, make sure to listen in each and every Friday. Welcome back to the Stage of History. And with that, we have the Stage of History, which is a celebration of retro titles that deserve a spot, for better or for worse, in the pantheons of history. So I figure since we are talking about twin-stick shooters in this episode, that we would talk about the one that a lot of people know about, Robotron 2084. So uh, this is a 1982 multi-directional shooter by VidKids. Its main inspirations were the arcade shooter Berserk and the George Orwell novel 1984. It was developed in six months by Eugene Jarvis and Larry DeMar. And when looking back at its twin-stick control scheme, Jarvis called the design a contradiction that blends incredible freedom of movement with ease of use. So uh, definitely a very inspiring game. Uh, definitely a game that like, a lot of people have played and certainly uh, has, has influenced a lot of games after it. Um, so, Will, I have to ask you, have you played Robotron 2084? I have, actually. Uh, there's a lot of arcades in Portland, and uh, I've... I've played it at a couple but it's really funny in addition to uh working on cat lady with rose city games i'm also part of a community group here for game developers called the portland indie game squad we were showing off a bunch of locally made games at the maker fair in portland the other weekend 
And at this Maker Fair, somebody drove up a big van, which uh, the side rolled out, and you could play Robotron. And it was called the Church of Robotron. Uh, they refer to it as a <laughs> mobile trading facility. And uh, everything on their website is signed by KRA. Uh, K-R-A. Okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, I got to play it actually very, very recently as well while a drone-style uh, soundtrack and uh, cultish kind of mantra was shouted at me. And, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> very cool. Very cool. Um, would you say that Robotron has a lot of influence with Cat Lady? Uh, I think just it as a, as a, you know, essentially the staple of the genre, like one of the first. Um, it's it's interesting to be able to look at that and look at a lot of modern twin stick shooters, including Cat Lady, and see uh, where a lot of that comes from, a lot of where uh, the kind of danger and uh, also kind of roguelike elements that come from it. Um, I think that's one thing that, uh, is really interesting about Rogue, uh, Robotron is that the kind of uh, roguelite element of getting a high score or going level by level um, actually did severely influence how twin stick shooters have been approached since. And uh, yeah, definitely something we're working with on Cat Lady. Sounds good. Uh, Robert, have you played much Robotron? Have I? <laughs> <laughs> My this this game yeah. is just one of those arcade classics I never get tired of. In fact, I think this led the way for twin stick shooters, if I'm not mistaken it popularized that for sure yeah yeah definitely did something for it and it was just amazing and it continues to be amazing even like in its new iterations you know like there was robotron x on playstation there was robotron 64 and nintendo 64 those were a lot of fun too Mm. and um, the only downside is like we really don't see it that much in this generation we don't see like much robotron although we did get midway arcade um origins on xbox 360 it's backward compatible on xbox one yeah. so you can play it that way so i have that one too actually yeah but we need like something like you know where we get re-release again on like switch you know or a playstation 4 or something that would work you know Total carnage! and that's gonna lead us now to obscura yeah and for obscura i didn't want to necessarily do um smash tv because it's popular and i know we'll talk about its popularity <laughs> a little bit here but i do want to talk about its follow-up and that's total carnage uh this is a game that originally released don't in you Arch- mean total carnage total <laughs> carnage well i'm sorry i'm not tim kitzrow um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but total carnage yeah it came out uh originally arcade in 1992 but it also found a home release a year later on super nintendo ended up some later uh midway compilations as well um including arcade origins by the way uh it's really cool uh it's like this top-down shooter but instead of taking place during a game show it's basically just like two heroes you got captain carnage and major mayhem as they battle (laughs) against the evil general akboob i'm not kidding that's his name he's an evil middle eastern (laughs) dictator akboob because he's a boob i guess um i think like when you see like the cutscenes, though like he he's he's basically saying that he that his country comes in peace or whatever but they'll like defend if they have to or whatever but like they don't understand him so they attack him anyway (laughs) yeah i mean the game featured like an army of mutants he was attempting to build an army of mutants in baby's milk factory that's the name of his factory i guess i don't know (laughs) this game tried to be so off the wall that it kind of missed the point a little bit but it was fun to play with two players you know and one really cool thing is like when you stepped in the lane on everything and, and and you blow up you actually your character flew more towards the screen as right. they kind of came apart which was kind of cool um, like gory effects basically yeah. yeah but the thing is i don't think the game was as well received as smash tv i think at the time people you know it, it kind of came off as like a top-down contra in a way 
But yeah. I mean, it kind of reminds me of like Akari Warriors a lot, honestly. Yeah, I mean, Akari Warriors was. I don't think it was like a twin stick shooter. I think it was like a single stick shooter where you aimed by tor- turning it around and everything. Yeah, it wasn't like a twin stick shooter or anything, but like just like with its, you know, with, with it more like open nature and you're going like up constantly, you know, and like, you know, you have like army guys, whatever. So it's just like more like, you know, Smash TV, but like mixed with like Akari Warriors type of gameplay, you know, without the twin Mercs. stick shooter aspect. Yeah, yeah. Mercs was like, like that too. Mercs yeah. Was like that, yeah. So I think the problem is like people were more interested in the smash TV style format and they just didn't get into this. In fact, also this didn't really meet like the manufacturing target that Midway was going for because of its lack of popularity. It Mm -hmm. did not get over 2000 units ordered. So as a result, it was kind of more of a, a niche title, but I mean, you know, in the end it did turn out to be pretty well, you know, it it got its own legacy. People still remember the game and everything. And uh, Mark Turmel worked on the game was, you know, not really motivated by the lack of sales, so he worked on something completely different for his next project. And that next project was NBA Jam. Mm, there you so, go. There you so, go. So, yeah, I mean, I thought it was rather cool myself, but not as cool as, like, the Contra games. But still kind of fun. I mean, how often do you face somebody named Akboob? You know? That's true. <laughs> um, does, he look, does he look kind of like Modoc too? Like, is that the big, the big face boss? Kind of, yeah. He kind of looks Modoc-ish with the with – the, if, like, Modoc and Hawk at Hulk had a kid, maybe. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like a really really gross kid i don't know yeah. um but will have you played this one i haven't played this one um i don't think i've seen it recently or in the last couple of years at retro gaming expo either but uh now I'll, i will be on watch yeah definitely and what about you there david what did you think of it i mean i played like a bit of it for sure um you know it was definitely like a game that i kind of had to seek out a bit because it is kind of like harder to find than smash tv um, yep. but I mean, like, it's fun enough, but like, it, it, it does kind of feel like more of the same in a lot of ways, as far as like, you know, top down shooters, you know, like obviously this one has more like the twin stick shooter vibe to it, whatever. Um, but the thing with like smash TV is that like, it, there was like more of a sense of dread and tension really. Cause the fact that you were kind of like stuck in these, like, you know, big box rooms basically, and just getting chased down by like endless enemies. So, um, that's the thing I feel like that total carnage kind of like misses out on, I guess. Uh, it, it's just kind of like more of an off the wall kind of like setting to it. Uh, but the gameplay was just kind of more of the same, I guess. So the, I, I guess that's like where where uh, where like it missed a mark. Um, but otherwise, you know, I, you know, I still love the um, the like you know the, like humor in it, like the, you know the, like the gory carnage and all that stuff. Um, it, it really it, you know it really brings it up in that sense. But um, the thing like with like Smash TV though is that like the whole game show aspect of it was was what made that interesting. And all you know, obviously like you know with with the gameplay was it was really interesting too, as I mentioned, like with the tension that you feel like being trapped in the room. Uh, but the whole game show vibe uh, was what really sold it for me. And like, you know, that's, that's kind of something that this one is unfortunately missing. Yeah, I mean, it, it did. I think it deserved maybe a little more exposure. But I think being released so close to Smash TV and at a time when people were looking for something different, you know, it didn't really work out the way it was expected. But like I said, you know, it eventually led to NBA Jam being the next project. Yeah. So I don't think it hurt Midway too much. And plus, you know, yeah, you can always get it for Super Nintendo if you really, really want to. Good luck! You'll need it. And that's going to lead us now to our main topic, which is celebrating twin stick shooters in history. Uh, so I figure we'll get into some early examples of the genre first. Uh, so obviously we mentioned Robotron 2084, but there were games before it, uh, as I mentioned with Berserk, uh, mm-hmm. which was 
Uh, basically, um, it was a game that was on Atari as well as various other um, other platforms at the time. But like, I think the Atari version was like the most popular one, um, where you basically play as like a guy who's kind of like stranded on like a planet, basically, and you're shooting like killer robots. And there's also like the evil Auto, basically, like the smiley face is coming after you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hate him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so there was that, and uh, there was also a game called Space Dungeon, which I looked up, um, which uh, basically is kind of like, um, you know, I believe that was like more of like, um, it was more kind of like a spaceship shooter, but with like the twin stick motif, right, Robert? Yeah, something like that, and there's also, uh, don't forget, Night Stalker on the Intellivision, that yeah. kind of had like a, even though it didn't utilize twins, it had sort of like a format in terms of like, you know, how you could shoot enemies around a maze, too. Kind of like Berserk, but not. Uh, it may have been a little bit different. But I'm I'm thinking in the same wavelength in terms of like something that would fit the format. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And um, another one too I have to mention is Black Widow, uh, which is uh, oh, one yeah. where you play as like um you like play as like a spider that's like on a web basically. So you're trying to shoot like basically the other insects that are like around you basically. So that's how it uses like the twin stick shooter motif like for that. So uh, it's pretty neat. So. Um, Will, what were like some of the earliest twin stick shooters that you personally remember playing? I think Mercs and Smash TV were two of the earlier ones for me. I had this like I had that Jurassic Park game for the Super Nintendo too, which was like you know it wasn't it wasn't necessarily twin stick, but it was that uh, kind of top down. I think it was I think it was eight directional too. I don't remember if it was four or eight directional. And I, think I had it was eight some, directional. Yeah. yeah. I had some weird, weird, like Buzz Lightyear Game Boy Color game that was like that too. I don't even remember what that oh, really? was called. Yeah, <laughs> but like, I gotta find that. <laughs> seriously, but uh, yeah. Also, looking at games, um, you know, even shoot 'em ups that were kind of, you know, along the same lines, like 1942, and uh, even kind of how Gauntlet plays, uh, like the NES Gauntlet One and Two. Um, I think lends itself a lot to that. Uh, I was of course, really, really interested in uh, JRPGs and everything like that and seeing the action elements of like, yep, same perspective, but you're blasted on things was really, really cool. So, yeah. So when you first played Smash TV, uh, was it the Super Nintendo version or did you ever get to play like, the like arcade version that actually had the twin stick layout? If, it's funny because I've played the arcade version more, but I played the Super Nintendo version first. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Was yeah. that kind of like, um, I, I guess, like, I'm kind of curious then, like, with what your mind was thinking, I guess, with seeing, like, the two sticks instead of, like, you know, a stick and, like, you know, a couple buttons or whatever, like, the packs you play? Right, yeah, I really like that. Um, I mean, now, one of my favorites is Nuclear Throne, and mm. I think uh, it's, I don't know, it's it's so weird how oddly intuitive it is that... Um, blasting forward on two sticks or alternating them or going opposite directions just feels really, really fluid. Um, I actually see when people are playing cat lady uh, at expos and stuff like that, when we are introducing somebody to the game who has probably not played a twin stick shooter before uh, it's, it's interesting to kind of educate people about uh, how to get used to that. A lot of people will flick their stick in the direction that they want to shoot and then take their finger off of the stick um, and <laughs> yeah. so that they don't have to kind of worry about two things at once. But uh, once you kind of get into that flow, I think it's such a cool genre. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, playing Smash TV that way is really, really neat. I mean, it's pretty obvious, like when someone is not used to twin six shooters, really, in that sense. And you, you, you do kind of have to like split your brain apart in two different ways, but have them work together cohesively <laughs> in order to make that work. Yeah, one of the things while working on Cat Lady has just been 
a huge conversation is just like, yeah, how does it, how does it feel good with the camera and where the character is on screen and uh, the trajectory of bullets and everything like that? Uh, like, how do we make that all feel good when you are shooting in one direction and running away in the other, you know, how does, right. how does kiting work in that way and everything? Um, yeah. It's just like such a, such a staple of the genre too. Um, and especially when you're looking at like enemy design to make sure that people can't run away and shoot to any of those kinds of things. <laughs> so yeah, I, I like how that plays. Uh, Robert, how about you with like twin stick shooter history? Well, you know, what? I, I think I was first introduced with the concept with berserk. Because that was uh, obviously a great uh, arcade game I played back in the day. But I think the concept of being able to move and shoot in different directions came with stuff like Ikari Warriors, uh, with Heavy Barrel. That was another one that kind of used the multi-directional shooting. Um, right. And, you yeah. know, and then we started getting the concept of, hey, wait, I don't have to turn this knob and keep walking around like an idiot. <laughs> so then we started getting stuff like Smash TV. Smash TV was a big one for me. Uh, this mm. was a lot of fun to play in the arcades. And then came like the the home version of Smash TV, which was still twin stick, but not necessarily twin stick because it used like the face buttons for your firing direction. And it did really well with that. Like uh, the, the Super Nintendo version was arcade perfect. It even had like the carnage in it, like people blowing up in it. You know, like this is a time in which Nintendo was like, oh, we everybody sweat in Mortal Kombat, you know, but Super, right. Super Smash TV. Oh, yeah, let's explode. Sure. I mean, that's kind of funny, though, that, like, Smash TV kind of got under the radar, really, in that sense, as far as, like, its violence and, you know, just its overall, like, vibe, really, as far as, like, being, like, on a violent game show, you know? Yeah, I really think uh, the Smash TV was the one that really set the trend. But, like, like, like you said there, Will, I mean, there are a lot of games these days that are really setting a standard for um, for twin-stick shooting because a lot of people seem to really be embracing the format and making it in their own special way, you know? And I, I think the easy thing about that is that you can make like an addictive experience and ramp up the difficulty and people will actually be ready for that difficulty. And one example I like to bring up here is um, with the developers of Housemark. Now, lately they've been doing more battle royale games, but before that they've been known for their twin stick shooters, you know, super stardust HD comes to mind, uh, which is a really great game on PlayStation four. But of course the big one, David, you're probably going to remember this title. Cause you talked to Eugene Jarvis about it is next Machina. Yes. Uh, next yeah. Machina is a great uh, example of how to do the perfect kind of twin six shooter. I mean, it, it, it blended the talents of Jarvis uh, with the team at Housemark, and it was just amazing. And I think the thing that killed me is that it didn't sell, and it kind of forced Housemark to do something else. Yeah, I mean, like and, unfortunately, it's like the type of game that doesn't sell a lot, honestly. So yeah. you kind of have to go in already, like if you're making like a twin stick shooter or a very like arcade like shooter in that sense that you are only going to sell so many units of it, unless it ends up being like this runaway hit that no one expects, whatever. But in most cases, you're only going to have that hardcore audience who are going to be really into it and who are going to like keep playing it really um, beyond like, you know, the first like weekend or whatever. Um, you know, and yeah. I think the reason for it now, because of that, I think that kind of taught developers less like you can't pour a major budget into a twin stick shooter. And right. we've seen a lot of creative alternatives as a resort, you know, a result. And like Will brought up Nuclear Throne. Uh, another one I like to bring up here is a game that was made basically, but worked incredibly well with its twin stick format. And that's Geometry Wars. Hmm. Uh, this was actually launched as a bonus game, uh, I believe, with um, Project 
Gotham Racing 2. Yeah, I remember it was with, with like a racing game at first. Um, yeah, and then they released it separately. Yeah, yeah, because that's what I played more of, actually, than the actual racing game itself, honestly. And then they ended up having it as like its own separate release, which which I was re- yeah. really happy about. So yeah, mm-hmm. And then, obviously, they followed it with sequels, you know, Retro Evolved 2, Geometry Wars 3, Dimensions, and then Galaxies on the Wii, which was surprising because it wasn't, you were trying to play a twin-stick shooter with a motion controller, and yet it still worked. Which I thought it was kind of nutty, you know. I was like, okay, great, sure. I'm just gonna <laughs> hurt my arms here, but I, but yeah, I mean, going back to like, you know, current developers, they're going with stuff that's more budgetable, but still pays loving tribute to the genre. You know, you got like Tesla versus Lovecraft, which I thought was really good. Hmm. Um, you know, Debris Infinity, which does its best to kind of take the Geometry Wars format and make it its own. It just came out for Xbox One, and it's really good. And then last week I discussed Galaxy Champions TV, which is kind of an an ode to Smash TV. Right. Uh, Top-down, right. closed-arena shooter, but it's just really well animated, and it plays real nicely. So we are seeing more and more of these developers who are grasping their ideas and, and kind of making them their own and really helping the genre live on. Even in, like, wacky ways. There was this game that came out, like, last year called Vicious Attack Llama Apocalypse. Yes, That's yes. That's the actual I, name of it, and it's so pretty wild. Wasn't there, like, an Atari Jaguar cartridge made for this as well? <laughs> um, For that? I thought it was Total Carnage that got the uh, Atari Jaguar. Well, I mean, I'm saying, like, as far as, like, a modern release of it, but on, like, Atari Home Jaguar. Brew. Yeah, like a homebrew. Yeah, like I, like I think um, this came out, or there, or it might have been some other llama based game. I might be. Getting I think you're thinking. I think you're, you're thinking of the Tempest thing. Um, the, the, I think so. Yeah, I'm, I'm I think that's what llama homebrews. By yeah, llama, there's are llama homebrews. Yeah, you, you're you're way you got way too many llamas on the brain there, David. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you know, then you have like Assault Android Cactus, which I'm going to give away a little later here for Steam. That was a fun little top down shooter with different characters and everything. But of course, this is going to bring back like one of both of our favorite games of this generation here, David, and that's Enter the Gungeon. Hell yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is just a game that perfects like twin stick shooting with a storytelling style and freaking bosses from hell. That's what yeah. they are. The bosses, but also the guns, too. Like the guns yeah. is what really makes that game. And also the fact that it's a roguelike, too, which is really interesting. Um, because I feel like with like the twin stick shooter mechanics, you can really pair that up with like a lot of different like things and genres and whatever. Um, to really put like a fresh spin on it. And like, I feel like with Enter the Gungeon, it really kind of perfected that whole idea of every time you play, it's something different, but you're still stuck in like an enclosed area, basically having to fight off whatever that you're stuck in the room with, basically. And um, it kept ramping up the difficulty. Uh, it kept having new weapons that you can unlock, new items that you can unlock. Um, a lot of them are pop culture infused as well, which was really near and dear to my heart. Like, you know, I'm having like the Ghostbusters proton pack, for example, or like the dead space gun and like yeah. earthworm gym gun is in there. Like there's a lot of like really, really cool guns in there. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of amazing there. And uh, by the way, I found that uh, llama game you were talking about Jaguar. That's Jeff Minter classics. Cause it comes with Llamatron 2112 and revenge, the one. revenge yeah. of the mutant camels. <laughs> That's the one. Yeah. I don't know if either of those are twin shooters, but they're probably, a lot of fun <laughs> there could be like a cousin to the to that game yeah in that case, so. but it, it just seems like you know these days developers are doing their own little twists on twin stick shooters and keeping them alive and it, it's kind of cool and um you know over the years i'd like to think some retro developers were doing that as well i don't suppose either of you remember the home adaptation of true lies 
Yes. Yeah, because uh, we talked about this actually during our LJN episode. Yeah, it was a standout game compared to all the other shit they did. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was, it was like actually like a good game, like based on like a movie license, you know. And um, yeah, it was, it was you know it's like a lot of fun. It was really cool. It had Tom Arnold in it, yep. you know, so they can't go wrong there. Um, sure. Will I don't know if you played True Lies at all or I haven't. No, I hadn't done that one. Okay, yeah, it's on Super Nintendo, I know, and um, yeah, I mean, you basically just play as Arnold Schwarzenegger, just like shooting at people and like dinner parties and like uh, you know, then mm-hmm. like having to like you know, like uh, kill everybody, know, to, like avoid. Well, you have to avoid like the like civilians or whatever, and Tom Arnold like yells at you about shooting like the taxpayers. Oh right, right. <laughs> so just shoot the bad guys. Right, 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 right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, it was a lot of fun. It was really cool. And then it's kind of funny. We uh, over the past couple episodes, we had like Emilio Lopez, and we had like um, a couple different people from Contra Rogue Corp which actually takes the Contra formula and makes it a twin stick shooter as well, which, you know, so it just seems like even Konami's doing the twin stick shooter thing. And we just talked about like how total carnage didn't work as a twin stick shooter. And yet Rogue Corp does. So I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Hello, my name's Richard Moss and I make a podcast called the life and times of video games. It's a narrative and documentary style show about games history and how the medium has evolved over time. Each episode or bonus interview soundbite delves into some aspect of the ups and downs of the industry, or the design, development, and legacy of the best or most interesting games ever made. It's all carefully edited, complete with original music and sound design, and a mix of interviews and deep research. All set up to tell you a great story about the secret worlds behind or within video games. I hope you enjoy the show. Yeah, I figure we'll get into like a little bit too, as far as like the elements of the twin stick shooter like genre, I guess, um, that we love basically. So, Will, can you like tell us like as far as like what it is about like twin stick shooters that you love? I think that uh, yeah, being able to focus on different areas uh, where you're moving and where you're shooting is uh, can create a lot of really really interesting situations with uh, dodging unique enemies and uh, approaching different guns and approaching different. Uh, you know, environmental hazards, everything like that. Uh, I get I get real bad about it sometimes where I too often like to jump into danger, but I think uh, twin sticks allow you to do that and feel good about it in a lot of cases. Uh, when things are telegraphed well and uh, you're able to more often than not keep track of a lot of things on screen, I think it's just super, super satisfying to... Uh, weave between bullets and uh, hazardous areas and uh, upgrade your avatar to either choose to make that easier or to back off and kite things easier or to uh, just kind of like make weird stuff happen. I mean, I think uh, (laughs) uh, Binding of Isaac is a really, really great example of how you can stack a lot of upgrades and just make crazy things happen. Um, So I really, I really like that stuff. Uh, Once I, once I kind of took a step back and, learned a little bit more about like metal slug for example i remember seeing in an art book how they talked about very purposefully making sure that bullets from enemies were flashing and slow so that you could dodge them Mm -hmm. um i was like oh that's interesting and uh eventually got it down to where i could beat metal slug one on one quarter kind of thing because i was like yeah it feels good to like go forward as fast as you can but also not get hit because if you get hit once you die so well, it helps for you too as a game developer to like kind of like take those tips, I guess, for like the visual indicators as far as like what you want players to look out for or what you want their eye to be drawn to, for example. Um, uh, and certainly having like the flashing bolts and having them be like slow enough 
uh, for you to kind of like dodge them. It just makes for a more like enjoyable and fair experience, I guess, in that case. Uh, I was I was super, super excited at uh, PAX West a couple weeks ago. Uh, somebody had a GDQ shirt on and was playing Cat Lady. And I said, hey, do you do you know about speed runs or do you just like watching uh, games done quick or anything like that? And he was just like, "Oh yeah, I was I was the runner for Kirby sixty four last summer," oh, wow. <laughs> uh, and uh, and he said, "Like yeah, actually, you know what? I really like how you can keep track of everything on screen in Cat Lady really well because of the colors." And I was just like, "Oh, thank God!" Because we spent so much time thinking about that stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then uh, and then of course his his uh, his big feedback was, I "Wish I could skip." Uh, skip the text faster and all that kind of stuff because you know he's a speedrunner. Of course, uh, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, totally. It's it's uh, really rewarding to have paid attention to that stuff and be able to integrate it into something that we're working on. Um, but I also think that's just something about the genre that I really really like is being able to uh, feel satisfied weaving in between all of this information um, that is uh, either going to kill you or help you. So Right, exactly, yeah. I mean, like, I know for me, like, with, like, twin-stick shooters, I mean, it's all about, like, having that kind of fast-paced action, but, like, mixed mm-hmm. with, like, the tight controls and precision aiming, basically. Um, uh, yeah, movement being really important. Uh, movement, and, being, uh, like, snappy, like, with and... your controls. Exactly, yep. yeah. Yeah, totally. exactly. So, and um, also, like, generally, like, if they have, like, a silly or over-the-top vibe to them, I mean, like, when I saw Cat Lady, like, the art certainly grabbed me, like, at first, like, from, like, the booth, you know? And, totally. um Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, seeing, like, the, like, art style for, like, the Cat Lady herself and, like, the cats and, like, all the different cats that you can get with shoot like different types of shots and all that um it really kind of grabbed me in that sense and like once i started playing it and realizing that's like enter the gungeon i was just like oh okay this game is like really got me in its hooks now right. so, <laughs> yeah. yeah thank you yeah i think i think a lot of twin stick shooters really take themselves seriously and uh i think it's interesting how something like geometry wars did so well and it's a really really great game and a lot of people try to uh, up the realism even more on a lot of dual uh, dual stick shooters, uh, but uh, you know, it's kind of like sometimes it's not necessarily necessary if you want to you know lean into humor or lean into pop culture, like you're saying with Gungeon. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and we kind of took it to the extreme. It was just a result of working with the artist that we were concepting the game with. Uh, his style is super super simple, and he's been developing. Uh, a lot of different ways to make characters and everything like that for a long time and it kind of matched up and we we're just like cool i guess we're going mega simple and we wanted to rely on making it cute and funny and a little bit more relatable too so yeah i mean it's just the whole like concept of you playing as like a girl who uses cats to shoot at enemies i mean you know, can't really go, <laughs> go, go wrong with that you know right yeah. um so i feel like the art style kind of has to like match that in that case so it's just really cool, cool. Yeah, um, thank you. so, uh, speaking of cat lady, then, uh, I was kind of curious, like, you know, obviously with like cat, you know, with, with cat lady being a twin stick shooter itself, um, what does cat lady do in order to bring something new, I guess, to, to the genre? One of the things that's, uh, really interesting that we've been working on and a lot of things that I've been hearing from people is, um, that just kind of making, making tighter controls and tighter spaces is something that I think works pretty well in something like. Binding of Isaac, but if you look at uh, stages in uh, Enter the Gungeon or uh, Nuclear Throne or a lot of other uh, kind of indie uh, twin stick shooters, um, a lot of the the space kind of opens up and it's uh, a lot easier to kind of hang back and plan your strategy and stuff like that. One of the things that we 
very, very first led with in Cat Lady was working on this idea of, uh, I guess this is kind of uh, in relation to what you liked about Smash TV with that kind of uh, claustrophobia vibe, mm-hmm. is uh, we were working with the idea of a mansion that you're in and you're exploring different areas of the mansion and uh, that enemies are themed with, uh, and enemies in areas are themed with where you're going. And we started with the basement and created kind of small bite-sized satisfying experiences where uh you know you fire some enemies they fire back at you uh you get hit oops you dodge here and uh you have a lot of bite-sized kind of rooms that you're traveling in and uh i think we didn't necessarily intend for that to be one of the huge focuses of the game but it ended up being something that was really fun um that you're able to jump into a room and of course uh, with the different biomes if you're going into the courtyard of the mansion of course uh, stages are a little bit larger because you're in more of a field or a garden or anything like that but um, having these kind of bite size like really high stakes and really high energy moments um, and then allowing you to complete that room and move as fast as you'd like right into the next one uh, I think was kind of important um, and something that we're really focusing on, uh, especially thinking about things like backtracking. Um, we designed a, a big kind of room and floor generation system in the biome that makes it so that you don't have to, uh, like go, uh, walk through eight rooms, uh, have a lot of fun doing so, and then say, Oh, the exit is on the opposite side. So I have to walk back through those eight rooms and not shoot at anything that whole time, uh, before mm-hmm. I move forward. Right. Um, that was something that kind of bothered me with uh, with uh, uh, End of the Gungeon is that there's not a warp room in every room because it's kind of like, why not? Mm. Uh, so that I don't have to backtrack. I mean, you can certainly warp to like different points to actually have like the warps to them like at any time. But yeah, I totally get what you're coming from as far as like being able to warp to any room in, in that case. Yeah, for sure. Right, totally. Any room that you've cleared, I should say. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's something that um, we're really focusing on, and we're having a lot of fun with. Um, of course, um, we are also really, really focusing on stackable upgrades and that base cats um, that you can uh, swap out for and recruit are also bringing really, really interesting kind of quote unquote gun styles to the table so we should and, talk about uh, actually this is like the yeah. fact that this game has so many different cats that do so many different things um one thing i do have to mention during like pax west when i was playing the game is that uh, there was like one cat i really liked where it was more of like a short range sonic boom kind of thing you know mm-hmm. um i was, was kind of curious like how many different uh, types of like you know cats slash guns or cat guns if you will um that you're planning to have in the game we're looking at having 30 in the final game Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and they all they have a little bit of a different personalities. Uh they've got uh there's a couple of pop culture references in there. Um one of the things that we just Grumpy really want to guess will be in there in some fashion. Uh <laughs> Grumpy Cap actually is not uh is is a, a contender but not uh, we're not quite there yet. Uh we do have we do have Melon Cat actually coming in early access. Oh. Um keyboard so, cat you know, maybe or classic. <laughs> uh yeah, we have uh, some keyboard upgrades and everything, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> is there like a ceiling cat at all or uh, yeah, that one's hard because you can't see the ceiling in the game, so we're kind of just true. like eh. Um it's funny though, we're we're looking at how to um uh, we're we're refactoring a lot of the kind of upgrades that you can uh, give yourself and like different bullet styles that you use and everything like that. And I was thinking about just like, uh, do I do I give 
cat's uh, the knife bullet and just call it knife cat. Like, eh, we'll see how that works. Right. <laughs> I mean, I can imagine that you would have like some sort of like parody of Garfield as well. And he like occasionally drops like lasagna for like health upgrades or something like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Especially with the new, uh, those new weird, uh, creepy pasta Garfield comics. We'll oh see yeah. Where all that goes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We know all about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I figure we'll get into like some of our personal favorites as well. Uh, so, Robert, why don't you start us off with what are some of your personal favorite twin stick shooters? You know what? Again, I'm going to come back to um, Smash TV. Uh, I think with something like that, it just feels revolutionary. It feels like the game has stakes. You really have to bust your ass to like survive to the later levels and eventually take on the final boss, who is the host, by the way. Yeah, player, that's right. Uh, which I thought was really cool. I love it. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, I like uh, Robotron in many variations, as we discussed previously. I thought those were really cool variations. Um, Enter the Gudgeon, I'll give a shout out to because I think mm-hmm. it's still an amazing indie game and really a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, I, I'm going to count Berserk in a way because that's kind of one of the games that kind of put me in the map of like, okay, I could shoot this way and then I can run this way. Even though it technically wasn't twin stick style controls, it was, it had like a method that kind of inspired twin stick games, I'd like to think. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, yeah. I will definitely give that a shout out. So, yeah, I'm definitely in an old school state of mind, but although I do like Assault Android Cactus as well. Mm yeah so like with uh with like berserk then did you play more of the arcade version of the or the like atari version or i think i played them equally i liked them both you know i mean the home version was really cool to kind of have it there without having like you know bug people and shit which is right (laughs) (laughs) it helps yeah yeah. like i'm screaming out loud at like you know the could you leave me alone you stupid happy face i need (laughs) nothing to you go away go away you know he's coming for you Uh, so Will, what are some of your personal favorites? Even though it's not a, uh, a twin stick, I really always looked forward to, uh, going to the arcade and playing like Strikers 1945. Um, mm-hmm. and I think because of, uh, getting those, uh, like shmup upgrades and stuff like that, it just made me like crave, uh, twin sticks more, even though there was kind of like a little bit of a dry spell from, uh, from what I was seeing in, in twin sticks. And then, um, of course, when indie stuff started coming out, like uh, Nuclear Throne just became one of my favorites. Uh, uh, I have looped, and uh, our uh, game designer on Cat Lady has looped twice, so uh, we have a little bit of cred there. And uh, I think I think as kind of a uh, more general take on Twin Sticks, uh, Nuclear Throne is definitely one of my favorites. But then uh, I think Hotline Miami is another oh, example yeah. Yeah, of a, a Twin one. Stick that like. I think it. I think it took the genre and did something so different with it. Um, you know, when I'm when I'm talking about with trying to kind of compartmentalize fast gameplay for something like Cat Lady, uh, I think Hotline Miami really compartmentalized planned gameplay um, mm-hmm. with a couple of quick decisions kind of made in between, and the theming of it really fits that too. It's like you know, if you're about to uh, invade a drug dealers home uh you're gonna have to make some split decisions and have a plan ideally uh you know that kind of it it, it definitely introduces that heist mentality yeah yeah i mean like what like hotline miami i feel like did best really is the fact that when you die you get right back into the action immediately you know and like it's so it's it's like instant like okay i did this wrong let me just jump right back in there and try something different or try again or maybe the maybe the enemy will will react differently if i do this or whatever yeah, and at, but at the same time, you always want to take your time. Even though you can get back into the action right away, you still 
sit there and think a little bit like that, that heist mentality added to a game with extremely or a uh, genre with extremely fast gameplay, I think is like such a smart move. And yeah, I really, really like that game. There's a very like speedrunners kind of mentality too in that game. So, yeah, totally. I mean, obviously you could take it like slow, but like to go through it like quickly is like something that's like inherently in the game. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for me, uh, some of my favorites would be Smash TV. That was, that was actually my introduction really to like twin stick style shooters, uh, Smash TV, like playing the, uh, the Super Nintendo version, which I believe is called Super Smash TV. Um, but then like later playing the arcade version and like, you know, just kind of having to wrap my mind again, like around like the twin stick uh, just kind of like motif of like the cabinet itself and all that, like having to get used to that was, was very interesting. Um, but I definitely liked it a lot. And then, um, and then much later playing, uh, playing geometry wars and, um, just getting absolutely addicted to that. I, I remember that was like the only game I was playing for like a long while, really, uh, just trying to get like high scores. And like, you know, obviously since I had like the online, like leaderboards and all that stuff, like it was, it was like t- totally addictive in that sense. So, uh, so playing that hotline Miami is a really good one too. Uh, absolutely. was like addicted to that for a long while. Um, but I think personally for me, enter the gungeon is like my all time favorite. I, I just absolutely love that game. I played it for years and years and years, honestly, like ever since it, it, for, it like first came out and it drew me in because of its art style, because of the sheer amount of guns that are in the game, all the pop culture references in it. And, um, yeah, it was, it was just, you know, just like a lot of fun. And like, it was something that, you know, I, I was playing for a while and then I hit like a ceiling and then I put it down and then came back to it. And then all of a sudden I figured out how to get like better and better in the game until I eventually got to the point where I was able to, um, unlock like all the characters, like since like the last update and like, you know, having like the gunslinger and then having to, uh, fight like the like Lich King with like, it was like the double Lich King and all that. And it was just like absolutely crazy. So, um, it was a lot of fun, like really, really cool game. Um, and there was also like a bunch of like other, uh, cool games here from our listeners, uh, who also responded with their favorite twin stick shooters, uh, starting off here with Sly Cooper gaming, uh, who says smash TV might be my favorite game ever. Hashtag big money, big prizes. Hashtag. I love it. Um, and there's also Darren Peters who says twin caliber for the PS2 was amazing. Now twin caliber was a game I had to look up here cause I haven't personally played this, but um, it kind of takes the twin stick shooter idea, but with a third person perspective and you're playing as like this cop and a convict, basically trying to fight your way out of a prison. Um, and it's just a very, very unique game in that sense. Like it's still like, kind awesome. of like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like it, it's, it's still kind of like a twin stick shooter in a sense, but not in the way that you're traditionally used to, I guess with the, you know, old, like the, uh, over the top kind of like view and all that. Um, Robert, I'm not sure if you played this at all. Like, it sounds familiar, but I think I might have missed it. Yeah, I mean, like, it's it's pretty cool. I mean, like, it, it seems like the type of game that would be cool to play through for like you know for like a weekend or a day or whatever, and then you kind of grow, grow tired of it or whatever. But <laughs> um, it it does have like a pretty cool like look and vibe to it, so it's definitely one to check out. Cool. Uh, there's also Michael Eric Setzer who says, hands down and no question, Robotron 2084 still deliver uh, still delivers a brutal battle even after 35 plus years. So yes, it's been that long since that game came out. <laughs> uh steve jacobs who mentioned space dungeon that was one of the earlier ones that we mentioned here uh keith albion who says uh keith albion borgel house who says a fun but forgotten one is black widow which we also mentioned here uh ralph memolo who says gotta go with robotron i don't know if there were any twin stick shooters before but it's the first one i remember you never forget your first which is so true 
Uh, Brandon Robinson, who says, Smash TV is easily one of the best. Great style and challenge. It seemed like a quarter muncher at first, but with a little practice, you could get pretty good at it. My record is making it to the Twin Snakes on my first credit. Great replayability thanks to the Treasure Room slash Pleasure Dome mechanic. The sequel, Total Carnage, was pretty good as well, but in my opinion, they overdid it and just did not have that hook to keep you interested, which is definitely something that we talked about here during Obscura, so uh, definitely definitely good insight there. Uh, our buddy Ken Kuzmal, who says, Love me some Total Carnage. It's a fantastic sequel to Smash TV. It's goofy fun and super gory. I love when you die and one of your eyeballs blasts out of your skull towards the screen. Oh, it's yeah. fun and addictive. Probably one of the top running gun games I've ever played. Like Mercs on speed. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, That might be a good way to describe it, really, there. So very good there, Ken. Uh, then there's Peter Brosnia, who says, uh, Geometry Wars Retro Evolve 2, which definitely we, uh, we showed our love here for Geometry Wars. And uh, finally here, Mark Mason, who says, Super Smash TV on SNES was the first and still most memorable one to me. I love the complete and utter chaos, surviving in the nick of time, the hectic and yet super tight gameplay, which you can fully lean in a minute, but will take you many hours to master. And I think that really, you know, defines, I guess, like with why people love these twin stick shooters and like why people love Smash TV, especially um, is like, you know, having that kind of like claustrophobic and that's just like the intense, like, you know, moments like where you feel like you're cornered and then like, you know, you might eat yourself out of, you know, to, to like victory to kind of get out of like a tight spot. Um, you just kind of like shoot your way, like, you know, you just kind of shoot like a hole of enemies, like for yourself, just kind of slip through or something like that. It's just, there, there, there's nothing else quite like it really. So thank you everyone there for uh, sharing your favorite twin stick shooter. So like a lot of good ones there. And uh, Robert, I believe you have a game code to give away. Yeah, and while I was talking about Assault Android Cactus, I have a PlayStation 4 game to get, or code to give away, rather. Uh, it is a fun game where you can play as different characters as they make their way through a vast space station, taking on bosses and continuously growing waves of robot enemies. This one's a lot of fun, and you can get it on PlayStation 4 right now. Here's the code. 8PKA5NNN. QT4H. That's for Assault Android Cactus on PlayStation 4. And enjoy. And please let us know at twitter.com slash arcpodcast if you do redeem that code. And uh, I just want to give a shout out here to our patrons, Francisco Limas, Mac the Ball, and Mega Daffy. So thank you very much, guys, for helping support the show. And if you too would also like to support the show, you can check us out at patreon.com slash arcast, where you can see all the different perks uh, that you can sign yourself up for in order to help support the show and uh, get some cool perks along the way. So thank you very much there, guys, for doing that. And um, Will, where can people go in order to find more information on you as well as Cat Lady? There's CatLadyGame.com. Uh, Rose City Games is our studio, so you can go to RoseCityGames.com. And uh, you can find those also as handles on Twitter. And my personal handle is GameWillPDX, as in Portland. Uh, yeah, I think that's about it. And uh one more thing before we close out here. I did find one interesting uh, footnote I wanted to share here, and that is it looks like Adi Shankar, uh, the producer who worked on Castlevania and is working on a Devil May Cry series, he's working with Ubisoft on a new Blood Dragon series. I just put the link there, and we'll include it mm. with our notes as well. Mm. It's called Captain Laserhawk, a Blood Dragon vibe. Uh, it's unknown if uh, Rex Colt will be returning for this series, although he obviously wouldn't be Blood Dragon without him. But uh, <laughs> it is pretty cool. It's like Adi Shankar Shankar is the go-to guy for making, you know, video games into rad animated shows. Because yeah. uh, Castlevania is amazing. And, you know, just seeing Blood Dragon come back to some extent, because I don't think we're going to get a sequel. 
Um, you know, this, yeah. the, it is kind of nice to at least see the love for the um, for the franchise. I mean, this doesn't have a release date yet, but just knowing it's in production is kind of cool, to be honest. I mean, as long as we see, like, laser T-Rexes in some fashion again, then I'm all for it. So. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And uh, if you'd like to follow the ArgCast on Twitter, we are at ArgPodcast. Same thing on Facebook, facebook.com slash ArgPodcast. And you can find me on Twitter at The Guilty Man. Follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash the DCD. You can also check my work at a number of sites, including svg.com, adventuresinpoortaste.com, gamepur.com, and mmogames.com. And please be sure to check out our partner site, Don't Feed the Gamers, at don'tfeedthegamers.com. That is run by our good friend, Leanna Ruppert, where her team gives fan-centric news and reviews in gaming. If you'd like to send us any feedback, opinions, retro games, or topics for us to cover, or anything at all, really, you can email us at argcast at retrozap.com. And be sure to check out retrozap.com for all sorts of other amazing podcasts. It's your home away from home if you're crazy about Star Wars or pop culture in general. There is also us with Argcast, so be sure to find us on iTunes, subscribe, give us five stars, and tell your neighbors. We're also on Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play Music, so there is absolutely no reason to not follow another retro gaming podcast. And that is episode number 179 in the books. Until next time, keep it retro and watch where you point that cat. Well, yeah, you could just take my head off. <laughs> yeah, we get like PETA involved with this now, yeah? <laughs> Seriously. Does... No cats were harmed. No cats were harmed. Oh, okay. They were tested. It's good to cats. know. They were tested. Yeah, yeah they were all tested. It's a disclaimer. It's a disclaimer at the, at, at the beginning of the game right there. So. She, she takes care of her cats. They're, they're you know, But uh, if any dogs show up, you know, I don't know. <laughs> That's game over, man. There's <laughs> actually one dog. Yeah, the boy. Game. Oh, there is. Oh, one. man. <laughs> talk about talk about things being rough. <laughs> yeah. You just had to. Just I, had to. I, I, I'm not allowed to do puns. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. We will see you on episode 180 next week. Take care. Catch you later. Welcome everyone, my name is Vaughn Hyde. I'm the host of IndiePod, an indie games podcast. With the help of my illustrious co-host, the biggest of average Josh Boys, we bring you all the indie games news you need to know, as well as shouting out some amazing indie games over on crowdfunding sites and occasionally derailing to a conversation about big anime chesticles. We are so happy to be part of the HP Video Game Podcast Network alongside so many other awesome gaming podcasts. So if you love indie games, make sure to listen in each and every Friday. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.